you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let me add to the welcomes that you've already received. Uh, welcome to City on a Hill. Uh, so good to gather together today as the people of God. A particular welcome to you today if this is your first time with us. Uh, we're really glad that you can be here. Uh, whether you've known Jesus for your whole life uh, or whether you've only just begun considering who He is, our hope and prayer is that you would get to know Jesus better as a result of gathering with us today. Um, also, shout out to those who are tuning in online or afterwards via the video replay. Uh, glad you can join us. Uh, my name is Dave. Uh, it is my honor to serve as the lead pastor of this church. Uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited about our fifth birthday celebration uh, coming up in two weeks' time. It feels like not that long ago that a bunch of people squeezed uh, into our lounge room at the beginning of 2016. God was so kind to us throughout 2016 as we gathered together a team ready to launch here uh, by the end of October 2016. And in the last five years since we launched, we have seen grace upon grace. There's been highs, there's been lows, and yet God has been with us in that. God has been sustaining us. God has been teaching us from His Word. Uh, God has been doing a work in us and indeed through us here in the city of Brisbane. Uh, and so 
Uh, do whatever you can to make sure not only you, uh, but others can be part of our all-in fifth birthday service of celebration at the Fortitude Music Hall. Uh, it really will be a remarkable family celebration. Uh, we will consider what God has done among us over the last five years. We'll consider God's Word, we'll sing God's praise, we'll look to the future uh, and pray that God would continue to be at work in and through His church for the glory uh, of his name uh, and for uh, the good of Brisbane, that more people would get to know Jesus uh, through the ministry of this church. Uh, as Stephen said, we'll be having baptisms and dedications as part of that service. Uh, and we would love to hear from you if you'd be keen to at least put in an expression of interest. Go to coa.co slash bris. Uh, let us know. And we, I guess we kind of want to do four things in family celebration uh, this uh, fifth birthday. Uh, we've had a lot of disruption, haven't we, over the last 20 months? Uh, we've only had one opportunity to do uh, baptisms uh, outdoors. Uh, we've uh, kind of uh, tried to work out when we can do them in service and dedications in service. Uh, this is an opportunity to fit a lot of people in a big venue uh, to come together to celebrate. Uh, and so we want to welcome little ones into our church family. And so if you've got little ones that haven't yet been baptized or dedicated, uh, we'd love to do either of those things. We'd also love to have a conversation with you uh, regarding whether it's baptism or dedication. Uh, we don't want to divide as a church, but we want to be united in the gospel and recognize Christians have different convictions on how to welcome little ones into the church community. And so whether through baptism or whether through dedication, if your kids haven't had those things happen yet, uh, please get in touch. We'd love to make that happen. There's already a bunch that are lined up, uh, but we'd love to do that coming up uh, at the fifth birthday celebration. But also, we want to encourage older ones uh, to continue in the faith. And so that could be through baptism. Uh, uh, those of you who've become Christian and have never been baptized, if, you ha if you're a Christian here and you haven't been baptized, don't wait. This is an opportunity. We, we don't know when the next lockdown will be. We don't know what the future will hold. We're actually hoping that the, the gathering happens in two weeks' time. Who knows? Uh, but if you're a Christian and you haven't yet been baptised, please uh, fill out an expression of interest. Uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Uh, but likewise, we're going to do something called, I guess, an adult dedication. That is, those that have been baptised as infants uh, who don't need to be re-baptised as an adult, um, we would love uh, perhaps to even mark that moment for you. Uh, some traditions would call that confirmation or an affirmation of faith. Uh, we're calling it at the moment a dedication, an adult dedication uh, to um, maybe you've been away from the Lord and you've come back and you've had a conversion type experience, but don't need to be baptized. We'd still love to hear something of your story and celebrate with you. Uh, and so little ones, baptism and dedication, bigger ones, baptism and dedication, all part of a big family celebration. Uh, and so please do let us know, co.co slash briz as soon as possible. Who's keen to hear some good news? You ready? God speaks. That's good news, isn't it? Why don't we pray, give thanks to God that He's a God who speaks, and ask that He would give us ears to hear this morning. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for all that You have done uh, in and through our church over the last five years. Uh, you have shown so much grace to us, 
and Father, we don't deserve your grace. That's why it's called grace. You are so kind. You are so loving. Uh, Father, you haven't given us the judgment we deserve, but you have given us salvation. You have given us life. You have given us community. You have given us purpose. You have given to, all of those things to us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have in this season to reflect and the opportunity we have in this season to commit ourselves moving forward to continue to know Jesus and make Jesus known in this city for our good and for your glory. And Father, we are filled with thanksgiving that you're a God who does speak. May we never grow weary of hearing your voice. May we never presume upon you for it. Thank you that not only have you spoken, but thank you that in time and in history, your word has been translated into the language we speak. Uh, thank you for English Bibles, and thank you for the opportunity right now to reflect upon the word that we just heard, your living and active word. And so, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate these words, giving us insight and understanding that we know what they mean. And Father, would you give to us that which we don't have uh, left to ourselves, and that is a desire to live rightly in response to your word. And Father, we pray this confidently, we pray this boldly, because Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus was raised again, and we know and believe that Jesus will return. And so we pray it in his name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, the presence of evil in our world is constantly before our eyes. Uh, we've witnessed it perhaps in our own lives, we read about it on our news feeds and our entertainment depicts in colourful and vivid ways evil in our world. Uh, who can tell me the number one TV show streaming on Netflix right now in Australia and 89 other countries? That was... That was pretty unanimous and a lot of people know that that is the answer. Show of hands if you've watched any episodes of this. Some people are like, yeah, I'm willing to put my hand up. Others are like, I have, but I'm not sure whether I should put my hand up or not. Whether you've seen it or not, whether you've put your hand up or not, uh, a TV show that only came out a few weeks ago and has taken the world by storm, Squid Game. And it centres on a contest where 456 players that are drawn from various walks of life, but each of them deeply in debt, they play a set of children's games with deadly penalties for losing. Now, there's a chance, and this is a big deal when you've got a lot of debt, but there's a chance to win 45.6 billion won prize money. That's around 53 million Australian dollars. Now, it's a graphic TV show, and yet it is considered somewhat of an astute commentary on society. You know, it highlights economic struggles. It highlights class disparity in South Korea. You know, you can see in this show the impact of gross debt, the risk of gambling, the deterioration of family. And you can also see the disregard for human life and how easily a life can be discarded and snuffed out. Now, while it's fiction, it speaks to many of the evils, not just in South Korea, but in society and in the human heart. 
Now, confession time, I've only watched three of the nine episodes and uh, it's not just a PG warning, it's a MA warning. Viewer discretion is recommended, it's not for the faint of heart, but it is fascinating. I'm not going to give any spoilers away, I haven't got far enough through it, but it's fascinating how, as you watch this show, you can see how people have been impacted by evil in their world. And people will try and do whatever they can they will try and pay whatever price to reverse the effects of evil. In today's Bible passage that we've already heard read out, we see someone in desperate need of a reversal of the impact of evil in his life. Our series, as Stephen said earlier on, is called Encounter. We've been encountering Jesus from the Gospel according to Luke. And we've seen ways in which Jesus has encountered various people and various beings in this Gospel narrative. Look, if you're new today, again, we are so glad that you're here. And you may have never had an encounter with Jesus. Uh, You may have encountered Jesus a long, long time ago. But our prayer for every single one of us uh, no, how, no, however long we've been around Jesus and Christianity, is that as we consider God's Word together, we will encounter Jesus and we'll see the radical change and transformation and work that Jesus has come to bring. Uh, if you uh, have a Bible, keep it out and keep it open, Luke chapter 8, uh, most of the verses will pop up on the screen as well. Hey, if you don't own a paper copy of the Bible, we'd love to gift you with one and so please go and see our team out at the info desk after the service. We've had a whole bunch of Bibles being picked up in recent weeks and we're really excited about that because we want to put this book in your hands, we want you to read the biographies of Jesus and we want you to encounter Jesus as well. Please see the team at the info desk and please let us know, we'd love to uh, talk with you about how you're going as you read through it. But hey, uh, in other late-breaking news, uh, today we have two things from the Bible. Not three points. It's the first time there hasn't been a three-point sermon for a little while. Two things I want you to notice from this passage. Uh, They're very long things uh, to make up for only having two of them. But the two things I want you to see, number one is the reversal of evil, and number two is the reaction of eyewitnesses. Number one, the reversal of evil. Number two, the reaction of eyewitnesses. Who's ready for number one? Amazing. Number one, the reversal of evil. Let's set the scene on this scenario. Now, just before the section that we've had read out, in the paragraph in Luke chapter 8, you can scan your eyes up there right now from verse 22 to verse 25, we have a section entitled, Jesus Calms a Storm. In that section, you'll read about how seasoned fishermen, some of Jesus' disciples who knew the sea well, were on the sea and were afraid at the storm that they found themselves in the midst of. And yet, by the end, of that paragraph, they are no longer afraid of the storm, but they are afraid of who? The one who but with a word was able to calm the wind and the waves. They say in verse 25, um, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Who is this? In many senses, that's a key question that's asked about Jesus the whole way through the Gospels. And so, as we continue and follow after the Jesus Calms a Storm section, the answer is going to be filled out more. Have a look at Luke chapter 8, verse 
26, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Let's just stop there for a moment. We know from here and we know from later on that this is Gentile territory. Now, what's a Gentile? Well, uh, Jews and Gentiles are kind of two categories of people that you read about in the Bible. Who were the Jews? The Jews were the the Hebrews, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, the ones that had been called out God made them a people, God worked miraculously in them and through them, not because they were special, not because of anything that they had done to merit God's favour, but because of God's election, because God chose them, because God chose them to be His treasured possession, His holy people, a people belonging to Him. And so you, you kind of get these two classes of people, you've got the Jewish people and then everyone else, and everyone else are called Gentiles. And yet, one of the things we see, the majority of Jesus' ministry throughout the Gospels is interacting with Jewish people, is interacting with the Jewish religious establishment, is, is calling disciples from Israel to follow after Him. And yet, you get a few glimpses throughout the Gospels, and here's one of those glimpses where Jesus ventures beyond just interacting with Jewish people, and we see that the fame of Jesus, the popularity of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, Jesus, the power of Jesus is spreading. The message of Jesus, therefore, is not only for Jewish people. That's good news because the majority of us probably don't have a Jewish heritage. It's good news that Jesus has come not just for those who are from this one small nation, but Jesus has come from, for people from all nations. And Jesus, as He comes to shore is confronted by a man who has had, a Gentile man who has been impacted by evil. A a man with a clear need for a reversal. Pick it up with me there in verse 27. It says, uh, when Jesus had stepped out on land, he's no longer in the boat, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Here is a man we read from the city, and yet he's not welcome in the city. Why is he not welcome in the city? Because he has demons, plural. He has no clothes. Clothes, clothes just weren't a thing that worked for this demon-possessed man. He couldn't keep them on. He, homes, a roof over his head didn't work for this man. He kind of couldn't live as people normally live. It says that he lives among the dead. He, he lives among the tombs. This is a man that is dead to society. This is a man who is as good as dead. And if we can have at least an element of empathy, I hope and trust we can see the, the tragedy in this image. Uh, One commentator said this, he said, everything about this man shows how the presence of evil in his life has left him deserted and alone. He's deserted. He's alone. He's apart from the rest of society. He's not welcome in the rest of society. He's too dangerous for society. He's so far out on the margins living amongst the dead. And yet these, these demons who've invaded him, they know 
who Jesus is as Jesus steps upon the shore. Have a look at verse 28. It says, when he, the possessed man, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. It's an instant moment. This man, possessed by demons, falls before Jesus and acknowledges who is Jesus? He is the Son of the Most High God. The demons present in the life of this man know that standing before them on the shore is one who has more power than they do. Their power dwarfs in the presence of of the Son of the Most High God. God, the Son, has come to earth. Have a look at how Jesus shows His power over them. Look at verse 29. For He had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized Him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but He'd break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Just more evidence of the turmoil and the cost of evil upon his life. Chains couldn't even hold him down. The demons have driven him out to the desert. And then Jesus actually addresses them and says, what is your name? Verse 30. And he said, legion, for many De- uh, demons had entered him. Legion is the, the word for many, and it's a word used in military senses. This is a, there's a whole unit, there's an army of demons that have invaded the soul of this man who has been possessed. There are many demons, and yet they recognize they are in the presence of one who is greater. They recognize they are in the presence of one who is stronger. And so, verse 31, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. The abyss you read in the Old Testament uh, is the place of the dead. We don't want to go to the place of the dead, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. These demons recognize who Jesus is, and isn't it interesting? There's actually a number of times where the demons beg Jesus. The the demons actually know how to pray. (laughs) They, 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 They say to Jesus, oh, Jesus, we know what you can do, please don't do that. We know your power, please don't show your power to us in this way. What does Jesus do? Look at verse 32. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. It's a dramatic story. And you don't need too much of an imagination to kind of visualize the, the drama that's taking place here of, of Jesus getting out of the boat, of the demons recognizing who Jesus is, of Jesus commanding those demons to come out of that man, not into the abyss, but they go into the pigs. The pigs go steep down the bank and drown in the lake. It is clear by the end of this story and this miracle that Jesus has power. Jesus has authority, Jesus is able. He is able to reverse the effects of evil. 
Now, the, the Gospels, the word gospel means good news. And the Gospels are uh, the biographies, the, the biographies of the good news of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And each of the Gospels are full of examples where Jesus gives us a glimpse of what a life without evil can look like. I think all of His miracles give us a foretaste of the Kingdom of God. All of His driving out of demons uh, gives us a snapshot of what does it look like for evil to no longer reign but to submit to Jesus. They are a foretaste of the victory that Jesus has won. Now, while you may be able to read this story and hear it read out and imagine uh, the events taking place, uh, in many ways, it does feel foreign to our world today, doesn't it? You know, how do, how do we see demons in our world? I, uh, I regularly go walking around my suburb uh, and area and I like walking through the cemetery. Uh, I like it for a whole bunch of reasons, but I actually genuinely appreciate the opportunity to reflect on the brevity of life, reflect on the reality of death, and yet here's the thing, not once, from probably hundreds of times that I've walked through the local cemetery, have I seen a naked, demon-possessed, Nanda resident living among the tombs. Some of you don't like visiting Nanda, and maybe that's what you think about Nanda, but trust me, it's not that bad. And my guess is, if you were to walk through a local cemetery, you're probably not going to see the things that are seen in the tombs where this man, possessed by this legion of demons, resided. You know, our world doesn't really resonate so much with this world, at least our part of the world, because in the East and, and in parts of the developing world, there is evidence of more tangible, demonic work of the occult, of animism and so on. But I think in many ways in the West, we don't see this type of demonic oppression. However, we still actually see the evidence of evil reigning. We still see the evidence of the evil one at work in the world. Uh, one commentator, Daryl Bock, he says this, the bridge into our context is the constant presence and threat of demonic influences in our world. It's not hard to spot its symptoms. Demons may not possess the soul as vividly as this example here in Luke 8, but they do cause people to do destructive things and retain a power that is almost overwhelming. People in the grip of excessive drink, debilitating drugs or destructive lust reflect a world where destructive indulgence inflicts not only pain on those possessed by such addictions, but also on others around them. Though the forces in view here are chemical or psychological, there can be little doubt that they are the remnants of a fallen world that Satan exploits with this scriptural insight, it may be that Satan is much more active than we give him credit for today. You know, as you kind of see some of those symptoms of the, the, the destructive things, of the power that's retained, that can be overwhelming through excessive drink, debilitating drugs or destructive lust, you start to go, okay, there are evidences in our world of the demonic at work, of evil 
ruling, of evil reigning. There are forces of darkness in our corner of the world. I know enough people in our church to know that there are those among us right now who are well aware of destruction caused by excessive drink, debilitating drugs, destructive lust, caused by evil in their own life. And I also know that there's those of you here who've experienced evil in the lives of those around you. That's real. Let's not be foolish to say these types of things that are described in Luke chapter 8 are only things that take place back 2,000 years ago when Jesus, the Son of God, was walking the earth. We may not see them manifest in the same way, but we know of the reign of evil in our world and the need for reversal. The good news of the gospel is really good news. The closer you've been impacted by evil in this world, the more you can rejoice in Christ that we have the promise of a reversal of evil. That is good news, amen? You know, ultimately, the Gospels are working their way towards a, a significant point at the end of the Gospel narratives. Exactly the case in Matthew, in Mark, in John, we see it in Luke as well. Now, this driving out of demons here in Luke 8 ultimately is a foreshadow of what Christ has accomplished at the cross on our behalf. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, and you, speaking to some Christians in uh, roughly modern-day Turkey, Colossae, uh, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you notice the way it describes Christians? Before they were Christians, they were dead. They were living among the dead. They were living among the tombs because they were dead. They were spiritually dead, dead in the tr our trespasses, that is our sin, dead in the ways in which we've followed evil in this world, the ways in which we've rebelled against our good Father in heaven. We were dead. You can't become a Christian without recognising that you did live among the dead. A Christian is someone who knows that they were dead. But thanks be to God, God has made us alive. God has forgiven us our trespasses. And God has done that by having the debt that we deserve cancelled and all its legal requirements and demands by nailing them to the cross where our Saviour, Jesus, died. Jesus 
He's the only one who wasn't dead in his sin because he was without sin. And so Jesus offers forgiveness of sin to all who are found in him, to all who put their trust in him, who not only lived for them, but died for them and was raised again. And yet in Colossians 2, Jesus not only as remarkable as this is, deals with our sin, deals with our trespasses, offers us forgiveness, deals with our shame, nails it to the cross. More than that, look at verse 15. It says, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. You see, Jesus also takes on the forces of evil and darkness Satan and his demons seeking to cause chaos and destruction in this world. At the cross, we see Christ triumphs over darkness and evil. Jesus wins. The cross is the ultimate reversal of evil in the world. Which is shocking, because the cross looks so evil that the Son of God would be put to death on a cross And yet, God's means by which evil would be defeated would be through something so barbaric, something so horrible as the Son of God going to the cross. At the cross, Jesus has the victory over sin. Jesus has the victory over Satan and his demons. At the cross, Jesus has the victory over death. And so we see for the possessed man of Luke chapter 8 that Evil in his world is reversed because of his encounter with Jesus. And that's ultimately because of what would happen by the end of Luke's Gospel, how evil would be reversed because of what Christ has accomplished in his death and resurrection at the cross. And the same offer is there to us today, to all who have been impacted by the evil that's out there and the evil that's within here, that God in Christ offers to reverse the effects of evil in our life. Number one, we see the reversal of evil. The second and final thing we see, number two, is the reaction of eyewitnesses. There's a number of reactions. How will people respond to this exorcism? (laughs) How will people respond to this miracle that we've read about in verse 26 to 33? Well, there's different responses as we kind of continue to read through the second paragraph of our text. Have a look with me, Uh, chapter 8, verse 34, it says, When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Now, interestingly, uh, the, the response, as you kind of see what the herdsmen do, seems to be less worry about the economic impact of all of these pigs being possessed by demons and driven into the lake and drowning. It seems to be, the narrative would suggest, they are more worried now of Jesus. They're afraid of Jesus. They'd seen what this demon-possessed man was like. They saw how simply Jesus was able to take control and drive out those demons. They saw how easily Jesus is able to destroy those pigs. It's not, let's count our money and, man, how much have we lost? It's, we are afraid of this Jesus. And so they go to the city. They tell of what has happened out in the country. Verse 35 continues, and then people went out 
from the city uh, to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Of course they were afraid. Like, you cannot argue with the transformation that has taken place in the life of this man. Here he is, he's in his right mind. He's no longer possessed by demons. He's wearing clothes. My goodness, that's better. And here he is, seated at the feet of Jesus. There's this beautiful submission of the possessed man. Oh, he's no longer possessed by demons. He'd rather, though, now that the demons are gone, give himself to the one who's more powerful and good and kind and gracious. He sits at the feet of Jesus. And yet, those who see this, they're afraid. And again, that is a right response, reverence, awe. Okay, we need to understand who we're dealing with right now. Okay, you don't just don't approach Jesus casually. Okay, He's powerful. He has authority. He's strong. And so, they're, they're part of the way toward a right response. And yet, look what happens, verse 36. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Him to depart from them they were seized with great fear, so he got into the boat and returned. All of the people of the surrounding country, they filled out a change.org petition. <laughs> uh, Jesus, we don't want you here. We've heard of what you've done. It's impressive. We're afraid. We want you as far away from us as possible. So Jesus gets into the boat and returns. It, it feels like, doesn't it, They're almost there with the right response and reaction. They've seen, some of them have actually seen what Jesus did. Others have seen the fruit and the reversal in this demon-possessed man's life that he has been fully transformed. And yet, their response ultimately is the wrong response. You know, and perhaps, I don't know, perhaps that might even describe some of our responses to Jesus. We're kind of halfway there. We get that He's, a, we get that he's important. We get that He's powerful. We have a, an element of fear and an element of holy fear and a, a right fear of who He is and what He can do. And yet, we don't want Him to get too close. Actually, Jesus, can you move further away and we, we do whatever we can. Maybe we, we do the religious thing, we turn up to church, but in, in other ways, we, we, we kind of keep Him at arm's length and we don't want Him too close and we don't actually want to sit at His feet, we don't want Him to impact our life, we don't really want Him to rule and reign over every area of our life. Yeah, we're, kind, we're afraid, we know what you can do, but I don't really want you that close to me. Jesus, back off a little, please. And yet, look at the incredible response of the man who's been transformed. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away. We'll read verse 39 in a moment. This is the right response, isn't it? Jesus, I want to come close. 
I want to be near you. I'm seated at your feet. I want to stay at your feet. And look at the transformation of this man. You know, one commentator says that this is not just the account of an exorcism, <laughs> as cool as that is, but this is an image of a soul that has been liberated, set free, was once captive and possessed by the rule of evil, has now been set free. His soul is free. He's liberated. And Jesus has done that. Jesus, I want to stay near you. Oh, I fear you, but I love you. I want, to, I, want, I want what you've got. I want to go where you're going. Jesus, I know that you're on a tour. Jesus, I know you've got these disciples. I want to be one of your disciples. I want to go with you. I want to, want to be part of the action. I, I love you. What an encounter. What a remarkable transformation in this man's life. It's not just a casual Cool, thanks, Jesus. Uh, yet, demon's done. Great, I'm going to kind of move on and, and press on with my life now that that's been dealt with. No, no, no. My life is now devoted to you, Jesus. I'm following after you, Jesus. These other knuckleheads are like, we're, we're afraid, but Jesus, get away from us. I'm like, I'm not, I, I want to be near you. I want to be in your presence. I want to worship at your feet. I want to be part of your mission. But what does Jesus say? Verse 39... Return to your home. He's not talking about the home among the tombs. He's back to the city, back with his family, back with people. Back with people who know of why he be, had been driven from his home and driven from the city. Return to your home, Jesus says, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You know, uh, Christians, uh, we often speak about mission, we speak about God's mission and one of the things that's happened for the last 2,000 years is Christians have kind of been sent out to proclaim Christ to the ends of the earth and Christians, we want to keep being sent out to proclaim Christ to the ends of the earth and yet, while we want to do that, we don't need to wait to be sent to the ends of the earth to be missionaries. We can actually be missionaries at home. We can be sent across the seas or we can be sent across the street. We make Jesus known, we declare what God has done in Him to the ends of the earth and we do that in our neighbourhood. We do that in our workplace. We do that amongst our spheres of influence. And so Jesus says, you know, Jesus I'm sure is commending of this man's desire to follow after him. But Gentile man, you've got a Gentile mission right here in your city. Make it known. Declare what God has done for you. Did you notice the way Luke reports it? And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Well, you can't understand what God has done for him, apart from what Jesus has done for him. Jesus is God. Jesus is God come amongst us. Jesus is God working and walking miraculously in this world. We've got these reactions of all these eyewitnesses. Most of them seem to have a fear, and that's healthy, of Jesus. And yet it's this demon-possessed man that goes the whole way and says, I'll follow you. And 
I love it, he's obedient to Jesus. He doesn't actually literally follow Jesus and hop back in the boat with Jesus, he goes back to the city. He proclaims the gospel, the good news of what God has done for him in Christ Jesus. Hey, this is who I was. You guys saw me running around naked before. That ain't me anymore. And what happened was Jesus. Look at me. Look, at, look, look, I don't have chains on. Look, I can, I can stay in a home. Jesus has done this work within me. You know, earlier on, uh, Stephen uh, read out from Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to read a couple of those verses again. It says in Romans 10 verse 13, uh, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Verse 14. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It kind of, in reverse, like for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how is anyone going to call on the name of the Lord unless they uh, believe? And how is someone going to believe unless they hear? And how is someone going to hear unless someone preaches? And how is someone going to preach unless someone is sent? You see, this work of being heralds of all that God has done for this man, and indeed for all who put their trust in that finished work of Christ at the cross, That mission continues and it continues to the ends of the earth as we cross the seas and it continues in our suburb as we cross our street. As I invite the band out the front, let me urge you, city on a hill, to not only see the slogan, the banner that we have at the tops of the stairs and we regularly have on the screen that says, know Jesus and make Jesus known, see it not only as a slogan, that's fairly catchy, that's fairly simple to remember, but see it as actually something that you want to be part of. You see, because as we know Jesus, as we encounter Him, we are called to be those who are part of, in whatever way we can, be making Jesus known. Sending people that the gospel is preached, that people would hear, that people would believe, that people would call on the name of this one and find the salvation that He offers. You know, today we've considered how in Jesus there is this great reversal of evil. We see it in the story with the demon-possessed man. We see it at the cross when it is accomplished. We see it in the lives of people around us as we are transformed, as we encounter Jesus as well. And yet, we live in a time where we still see the effects of evil, evil trickles into all sorts of areas. Christ has already won and yet we're waiting for the day when that victory will be seen by all. You know, in a rugby game, for those that are familiar with rugby, there's 80 minutes uh, in a rugby game but when that final siren goes at the 80th minute mark, the game's not yet over. The game is only over once the ball has gone dead. And so sometimes you can have so many sets of play before the ball goes dead, you can have minutes Multiple minutes of game that continues to play, waiting for the ball to go dead. Now, in that time frame, the the opposition can do all they want to try and take down and dirty tactics to the team that's winning. But if the score is 100-0, there's not much that the enemy team can do in those minutes to change the scoreline. Brothers, sisters, if you don't understand sport, understand this. We live in the last few minutes 
the, 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 the siren has actually gone. The 80 minutes are up. Christ has won at the cross. He has defeated sin. He's defeated Satan. He has defeated death. He has triumphed over evil in this world. He already rules. He already reigns. The victory is sure. And yet there's a few more minutes until Christ returns. And so we stand firm, regardless of the dirty tactics of the evil one, regardless of the impact that evil can still cause devastation, even in the life of Christians. We know we already have the victory in Christ. And so we continue to proclaim and say, look at the scoreboard. Jesus wins and he's coming back. We keep trusting him. We keep making him known. We keep pointing to the liberation of souls that Jesus brings through his life and death and resurrection. Church, would you stand as we pray together? Father, we want to thank you and praise you for this story we can read today. Father, in many ways it feels so distant from where we are, and yet we meet one who is powerful, one who is stronger than evil, We meet your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the son of the most high God. And Father, we want to thank you for that beautiful picture of a soul that is liberated from being possessed by a demon. A a life that is radically transformed in response to an encounter that he had with Jesus on that day. And Father, we want to thank you so much for the victory that Jesus won at the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin that he offers to us. And thank you for his triumph over the darkness and evil of this world. Father, thank you that Jesus is alive. And Father, we can't wait for Jesus to return. Would you do it soon? Would he come soon? But Father, while we wait, may we be a people who don't just know Jesus and make Jesus known because it's a catchy slogan. May we be a people who encounter Jesus and really know him. And would you use us? Would you empower us to go out across the street, across the sea, to the ends of the earth, making Jesus known? that others also would encounter him and find liberation for their souls as they fall at the feet of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.